0: if you like me you just want to do a little falling back this morning probably but praise god you pushed on through and you made it to the house of the lord and man it's already been a wonderful time in the lord i do have a, a couple of things i want to um let you know about and reiterate what hannah hannah does such a wonderful job with those videos in uh, uh, keeping us on track and the, um, with all that we need to know about going on around here. But I do want to stress and emphasize the blue card that you received in the worship guide when you came in this morning. Uh, and so if you will, if you have not filled one of those out, I think we had about seven maybe filled out last Sunday, but if you will just put your name on there. Uh, and if you will check off the areas that of, of your commitment, I guess is the way I would, I would put that, uh, if you will help in any of those ways or all those ways and let us know about that, then the ushers, uh, Mike and the guys will collect these um, for me uh, today as well. And then we will be meeting here, rain or shine. Uh, at three o'clock today. Uh, So I encourage you to take part in that. Come and help us go outside the four walls and be an outside the four walls church to extend an invitation to people uh, to come to the house of the Lord so the Spirit can draw them and um, as we invite and fill the seats up and uh, not just on Easter, uh, but also throughout the church year. And so we will meet at 3 today. We'll gather in here for a time of prayer, and then we'll divide up, and we'll go out, and we'll knock on some doors and do what Jesus would do if he were here. So anyway, excited about that. And then as the band sang the song Amazing Grace, through many dangerous tolls and snares, I have already come. I thought about our sweet Miss Eileen Michael, who went home to be with Jesus uh, on Friday morning, A 100 years. God gave her a 100 years of life. Uh, And so uh, we will be honoring her life tomorrow right out in Gardendale. The visitation there uh, will be from 1 to 2 and the funeral at 2. But can we just honor and give honor her life and give God glory for blessing us as a faith family with her. And so uh, what that means uh, basically... Uh, For those that are uh, still with us in here, I think it means that Sam Johnson takes the lead now, uh, and uh, Pete Stalnecker's right behind him. So anyway, y'all pray for them, and there's probably a lady in here that's somewhere in there, but you're not supposed to ask a lady your age, so ladies, if y'all really want to be notified, y'all just let me know uh, where you fall in that. But anyway, well, we're going to dive in the Word of God this morning. Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 26, is where we're going to be, and we're going to be looking at verse 57 as we continue our series, Countdown to the Cross, and we're looking at this, um, what Jesus went through. Uh, and uh, in, in, in order to go to the cross, what he went through for us. And the sermon title is Tried and Denied. And the takeaway is the call to the cross led Jesus to face his enemies and be rejected by his friends. The call to the cross led Jesus to face his enemies and be rejected by his friends. There's something that we need to learn from what Jesus went through that we also, because he already told us, that we would go through the tough times. We would go through the times of persecution if we're truly following him, lock, stock, and barrel, that we would face the same enemy and the enemies of hell that would come against us if we're living for Jesus. And so there's some truths that we see in the life of Christ as he was tried and denied and going through this process in Matthew 26. And so... I want us to pray and then look at those truths that the Spirit would speak and, 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 and not only give us information, but give transformation today and then also give reiteration to what the Spirit has already shown us as believers that we would live as Jesus lived. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us, God. Lord, you are the one that it's all about, Father. You are the only one that can bring down every stronghold, Father God, Lord, that exists. And so that's why we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, because you've already brought Satan down at the cross, and you defeated death, hell, and then three days later, you uh, overpowered, overcame the grave, just as you said. So Lord, help us to know as your children and the Spirit of God, God in us through the Holy Spirit, we do have, Lord, resurrecting power, God. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. Speak to us now through your word and make us more like your son god our father is our prayer in jesus name we pray amen amen i want to give you these truths because we've got quite a bit of scripture here and i'm going to give you the first truth and then we'll break these verses down bit by bit the first truth that we see in the life of christ as he was tried and denied is that he was unjustly tried everybody say unjustly that's important to realize he was unjustly tried so that we could be justified. Now we can look at those two words unjustly tried. And then justified, because it would appear in the life of Jesus, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane last week, it would appear that uh, everyone obviously is forsaking him. Even those closest to him are not there for him like they need to be. And so it would appear that all hope is lost for Jesus. It would appear that uh, there's no one there for him. It would appear that every circumstance, every situation in his life is going in a negative way. But we all know the truth if we know and believe in a sovereign God, exactly uh, who God is to us. We know that all of this had to come to pass in the life of Jesus. So what are you saying, Pastor Toby? What I'm saying is if you live for Jesus... And if you sell out to God, and if you follow the Lord like we're called to follow the Lord, your circumstance, your situations uh, are not going to always appear. In fact, most of the time, they're not going to appear like things are going good for you, like things are on the up for you in your life. And so, that like, like things are just automatically going to fall into your lap and make you happy, happy, happy uh, through your normal day life because everything's going smooth by worldly standards. In fact, you'll see right the opposite, and you'll see what Jesus went through, but But at the same time, it also shows us the sovereignty of our God that we are called to walk and follow Jesus, our teacher, uh, as he lived his life. And so, uh, God is over no matter what that is when we're walking in obedience. So, no matter what Jesus went through and no matter how hard it was, and it was hard for him because he took on humanity That's why there's no human uh, that can uh, say, well, nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody uh, understands my situation because Jesus understands even more so your situation. Because no one's ever went through as much as he went through. He was unjustly tried so that we could be justified. But in him being unjustly tried, it was God who was sovereign, bringing about the purpose of our justification. Justification, justified meaning just as if we had never sinned because of what he did at the cross. So look at verse 57 and verse 60. We'll see what's going on in this story here. Then those who had seized Jesus, this is coming out of the garden. Remember that we talked about last week when they came and got him. Those who had seized Jesus Led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. I want you to remember what Jesus had already told Peter that he would do. He told him that he would deny him and that he would deny him thrice. He would deny him three times, but Peter's here and and he's hanging out, but he's at a distance. And so it says in verse 59, now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Verse 60, but they found, everybody say none. (laughs) They found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the Temple of God and to rebuild it in three days now let 's stop right there and talk about this concept that he was unjustly tried so that we could be justified. There were essentially two uh, trials: one was Jewish, a Jewish trial, and one was a Roman trial. The Jewish trial was basically a preliminary hearing, uh, and that began actually when uh, Annas, who was Caiaphas's father in law informally examined Jesus late Thursday night and uh, John gives us an account of that in John 18 twelve through fourteen now, it was during this examination uh, that the members of the Sanhedrin, they, were, uh, they had assembled together, uh, and it wasn't their normal meeting to assemble together. All of this was a work uh, of the enemy in and through them, behind them, to play in part of what was about to happen in the life of Christ. And so his accusers, they brought him before uh, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, who decided he was guilty of blaspheming. Uh, and so that's what they were saying that he was guilty of. Of course, all of this was illegal because you were not even supposed to have a criminal trial at nighttime. So they were violating from step one all the way through. They were violating their own law, their own belief system, and you'll see in a minute even the law of God in Deuteronomy that was given to us and how they treated him. And in capital cases, they were to be held at the temple or only in public. And so we see the enemy behind the scenes working here. And uh, as mentioned earlier, Caiaphas was the official high priest then, and he would have presided over the Sanhedrin, and he was a Sadducee himself. But Annas, his father-in-law, he still had influence, even though he was not in the seat or position of high priest, and that's why they first took him to uh, Annas, who had had been uh, and served in that same area and same role. So the Sadducees in this setting of Jesus, when he faced them, they held all the power, basically. They were the group who held the power in Israel at the moment and at the time. And so I find that kind of interesting when you think about that, that those who think they're in power are about to see in three days real power. And the ones who are in power by man's standards are the one who did not believe in the power of Almighty God and believe in the words of Jesus. In his correct uh, in in his correct meaning behind the saying uh, that uh, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, referring to himself. They did not even believe in that, so they were in power. The Sadducees, the scribes, were the official teachers of the law, and the elders were lay representatives among the people. And the chief priests, mainly Sadducees, were also present. And those were the three main groups that made up the Jewish representation of uh, Israel's chief. Ruling body. So every one of them took part in this. Every one of them that took part in this were guilty uh, of taking part in this conspiracy and they unjustly tried Jesus even thinking they were getting rid of him once and for all. But his sovereign Father had already willed before the foundation of the earth that Jesus would come to be the perfect sacrifice. He who existed with the Father, in union with the Father, in communion with the Father from eternity past, would actually come and be the perfect sacrifice who would pay for our sins once and for all. Amen? So as they were thinking, once and for all, we are through with this lunatic. He's either a lunatic, liar, or Lord, as it's been said before. And the question is, as Jesus uh, basically uh, asked Pilate, our Pilate said, almost I'm persuaded a little later on in the Roman trial. And the question is with you, what is he to you? He, he is either a, a liar, he's either a liar, he's either a lunatic that's gone crazy, or he is who he said he was, and he's the Lord of your life because you surrendered your life to him. And so, I know for me, he is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is who, church? He is Lord. He's my Lord and my Savior. And so, there's a price to pay for those who say no to christ there's a price to pay for those who uh, basically do not submit to who He is and to who God is and respond to the love of God and so Christ was unjustly tried so that we could be justified now here 's what happened at sunrise on friday i 'm just giving you the, the scoop the quick scoop here. The Sanhedrin decided to send Jesus to Pilate for trial, and then we get this ping pong match going on right We get this ping pong match going on in the life of Jesus between Pilate and Herod no one 's to take the final ownership or responsibility just in case. And God gives every warning that he can to give grace to those that they would not have a part in this. He even gives warning to them. He even gives warning uh, to Pilate. He gives warning to Pilate uh, through his own conscience. And through his own conscience, even though Pilate was uh, unsettled in his own conscience, he still moved forward because he was more concerned with popularity and politics than he was with dying to his pride and saying, this man is the son of God, and I will have no part in this. And then God speaks to him through who? God speaks to Pilate through his wife, right? And she says, I'm telling you, I've had a dream, and it's not a good dream. It have no part to do with this man. And so Pilate says, I'm washing my hands clean, but is that what happens? No. He sends him off to Herod for interrogation. Luke talks about it in Luke 23, 6 through 12. And then Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate for a second examination, and these trials were over, and Jesus was at Golgotha by 9 a.m. in the morning because the Bible says by the third hour he was at Golgotha, and they were ready to get this thing on with. See, when you know you're doing something wrong and you don't have a peace about it and the enemy's behind it, you'll do everything to rush it through so you don't have to face what you're doing. When you know you're doing something wrong that's not for the glory of God or it's not of God and it's not what God would have you to do and you're actually trying to do it at times when nobody knows you're doing it, You're actually doing it with those that will assemble together because they also feel dirty for doing it. And you're also coming together in your life to take part in something that's not God-honoring, to take part in a sin that's not God-honoring, and you're doing it at a time when those who are walking in the light are asleep and can't be around you to hold you accountable. Is that not the way it is with sin? Is that not the way it is with the enemy? Is that not the way it is? That's exactly how it is. It's exactly how it is. And so, this is what happened with Jesus. And so, but God obviously sovereign over it. And then I wrote this down. It was good Friday for us, but forsaken Friday for Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. It was good Friday for us, but forsaken Friday for Jesus. And that's what makes it good for us, is that He was willing. He was willing to be forsaken by his Father. And we'll talk more about that next week when we look at what was so hard about the cross for Jesus. Well, here's a second truth this morning we see in this text. He was falsely accused by a statement they confused. He was falsely accused by a statement they confused. There was confusion in his statement. They couldn't find anything on him. And then here come these two witnesses, and there's confusion in the statement, but there's also deceit in the statement. Look at verse uh, 60b through 63. We'll pick it back up with uh, just 60 there. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, the latter part here of this verse, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are Christ, the Son of God. Now, since they were unable to produce any legit witnesses, they arranged for false witnesses to testify. And once again, violating their own legal standard. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 through 21 says this. Let me read it. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only in the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who are in office in those days. Now listen to this. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall... You know what they said you shall do to him? Does anybody know? Do you remember what they said? They said, if the witness is a false witness, and he has unjustly accused his brother, he, they said, or, or, this, or this other person that he's brought before him, they said, you shall basically do to him as he meant to do to his brother, as he meant to do the person that he was bringing before. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear in fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Do you see the hypocrisy going on here among the people and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and God's own chosen people that rejected him? So by God's law, these witnesses should have been the ones crucified. And for that matter, every Sadducee, every scribe, every elder who took part in it should have been the ones crucified by their own law. They should have been the ones to pay the price. (laughs) But there was no way God in heaven was going to allow that to happen because the bigger issue was who was going to pay for the sins of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. And the Bible, God's holy word, gives us the answer in 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, where it says, for our sake, he made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who you knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Now, that's a beautiful story of amazing grace. Amen. That's a beautiful picture of grace, grace, God's grace. You can't help but see the love of almighty God. The love of Christ the Son, willing sacrifice, and the love of the Holy Spirit bearing witness of Jesus Christ the Son, willing to live in this dirty, fleshly temple and body. That's an amazing, amazing picture of God's gracious act toward us. I love the way a song puts it that I heard when I was growing up, and the chorus went like this, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Amen? Wow. I was guilty. I was guilty. Do you remember the relief and the release and the weight removed to you when the Holy Spirit of God drew you to Christ and you admitted you were guilty and then turned to Jesus? Now, the song says, what sin? What sin? It's as far as the east. got to get my direction straight here from where we're standing. It's as far as the east is to the west. Amen? Cast it into the sea of um, uh, basically forgiveness to where we are forgiven. Rest assured that Jesus is God, so you have to work hard to come up with a testimony against the only one who is holy in and of himself and who is eternal, Jesus Christ the Lord. They had to work hard. And it still wasn't anything of validity. The only reason that it happened the way it happened, though, was God was sovereign over it. Look at verse uh, 61a, what they, what, how, how they twisted this. And they said this, this man, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. You ever notice how the enemy will turn people's words when they're trying to justify themselves? When they're trying to uh, come against you and you're trying to live for the Lord, they start twisting things to present you in a different light than someone else might see you. Then the boss might see you at work when you're busting it, doing the best you can to live, to live in a way of integrity. And someone uh, who, who doesn't like that, they may begin to twist things, and that's what they were doing. They said, this man. But that's a lie. Why? Because what did Jesus actually say? Jesus said, you destroy this temple not I will destroy this temple. And they're thinking that it's the temple that they worshiped in. He said, you destroy this temple. And of course, they were confused and thinking and twisting his words to make it look like he was talking about the temple. And it sounds just like an attack, as I've said, of the enemy, because that's the way he is. We should not be surprised because after all, he is the father of what? All lies. Satan is. And so, they're coming in, and they're already lying by saying, this man said, Jesus never said that. He never said, I'll destroy this temple. He said, you destroy this temple. And that's exactly what was taking place, by the way. They were destroying the temple of God, the Son of God. They were mistreating. They were unjustly trying. And then they were going to be partaking and crucifying. And they were going to destroy God's greatest temple in human flesh. God himself in the form of human flesh through Christ the Son. The lives of these two men was recorded by Mark in Mark fourteen fifty eight. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. You see the twist in that? They were doing everything to paint Jesus in a bad light in front of these leaders. They were, they, were in, they, were, they were trying to paint him arrogantly. They were trying to paint him as a liar. They were trying to paint him as a lunatic. But you know why there was such evil? We talked about this in Wednesday night's uh, James class on Wednesday night about a bitter root, a seed of bitterness will settle into you, and you'll become one of the most bitter, jealous people because you allow that seed to be watered with your own ungodly thoughts toward it or your pessimism toward it that's been injected into you or your cynical mindset toward it that's been injected into you. And so we, we talked about how that can be so damaging and so dangerous if you hold on to it, but Jesus didn't hold on to it, even though they tried to twist it and make him look like that that's what he was claiming when, in fact, he was not. They had a deep, deep, bitter rage in them because this man named Jesus was actually living out the life of God, Jehovah-Jireh, that they were holding to the law to and missing the spirit of grace through Jesus Christ. And they were hanging on to the law, imposing the law on others in a way that never honored and glorified God and certainly never led to freedom. Now, verse 63, he was put under oath here. Caiaphas put him under oath. If Jesus refused to answer, he would break an oath imposed on him legally by the high priest. If he denied the charge, he would have no further influence, even though the Sanhedrin might acquit him. If he affirmed the charge, he would appear to be an imposter, given the uh, presuppositions of the Sanhedrin. So from their viewpoint, the Messiah would not allow others to imprison him and put his life in jeopardy. But the problem is here, they're focusing on one type of Messiah, political Messiah, and Jesus is focusing on who he is and he's focusing on being God's Messiah and our Savior. The third truth, he spoke words that haunted them, and in return, they taunted him. Look at verse 64 through verse 68. Then Jesus said to him, you have, and you have said so, but I tell you from now on. Now, this is what got him. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Note verse 65 uh, with me, if you will. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now, remember here that this truth is that he spoke words that haunted them, and in return they taunted him. The, the, the chief priest here, he could not deal with these words, and, and it struck him to the heart. Remember that everyone here was focused on a political messiah. The Jews themselves, along with the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they were threatened by who Jesus was, who he represented. They did not like his message at all. What was his message? His message was, uh, as we've been reading through Matthews and the Sermon on the Mount, his message was uh, tailored with and acted out by serving one another, by loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you. (laughs) Jesus was living this out right before our eyes as he was being unjustly tried and bless those that persecute you. But Jesus was declaring that he was the divine human king of Israel by making this statement. Jesus was declaring that he was the Messiah that Psalm one ten one says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus was professing to be the Messiah that Daniel talks about in Daniel 7.13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's that same terminology that Jesus referred to, like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Hallelujah to the son of man. Amen and hallelujah to Jesus Christ the Lord. So Jesus made a statement predicting his return, and it will happen. Rest assured, it will happen just as his trial, it basically, it did happen. This will happen. Now, many who do not believe in Jesus would say, well, if I saw this happen, then I would believe it. But, of course, we know that we are saved. How, church, if you're a believer? We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. Jesus is the gift. It's not of our own works. It's not of our own great keeping of the law. It's not of our own impression of what our neighbors think about us. It's not by our church attendance. It's it's by, we walk by faith, not by sight. That is real faith. So those who wait to see something like this happen, those who say, I won't believe until I see him in the flesh, they will not be given the opportunity that Doubting Thomas was given because they have been warned by the prophets, as the rich man in Lazarus' story goes. They have been warned by the Scripture. They have been warned by the Word. And they have been drawn by the Spirit of God. And so if they wait, it will be too late. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. When there will be many who stand before Christ, and they will stand before Christ. We'll say more about that in just a second. But many will stand before Christ with the mindset, well, I was going to do it next week. Well, I I, I was going to do it, but I just wasn't ready to do it right then. I needed to get some things in order. Let, hear me very clearly. Hear me very clearly, please. If you wait till you in your own power get your junk in order, you will never find the God over order. You see, you surrender to God, I surrender to God, and we die to ourselves and die to our pride and call upon Jesus to be our Savior. He brings the order. He brings the order, but you'll never get it figured out in your own way, trying to break your own sin, trying to break your own uh, uh, habits in your own power. God comes, and you clean him up, and God is calling you. He's in the cleaning process. He doesn't even, our loving God doesn't even call you to clean yourself up before you come to hear his word. He says, come filthy, come wretched, come dirty, just like we all are sinners, amen? And he says, and respond to my gospel, and I will clean you up. For there is no other salvation uh, known to man under heaven that we might be saved in the name of Jesus Christ, who is salvation. So uh, that's going to be the case. He's coming back, and we will all stand before him to give an account. Everybody, every agnostic, every atheist, every church goer with 100% attendance, Every Pharisee, every Sadducee, every Jew, every Gentile will stand before him because Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. It's appointed, and then the judgment. So when he gets up, I love this wording here. <laughs> this is what really got the high priest and everyone around. When he gets up from the right hand of power, capital P, amen, when he gets up from the right hand of the power, where is Jesus right now? When he ascended into heaven, where did he say he was ascending to? To the what hand of the Father? To the right hand of the Father. But a day is coming where he's going to get up. He's going to get up from the right hand of all power, which is God himself. And not only is he going to get up, and it's not going to just be a get up like it was with Stephen, to where Stephen looked up and probably saw him kind of easing over, uh, you know, from his seating position, welcoming him home because of his faith. It's going to be a get up that is greater than even that because he says, not only am I going to get up from the right hand of power, which is God my Father, I'm going to come on clouds of heaven. Now the question is this, the certainty is this, it's going to happen. The question is, will you be found anxious, or will you be found scared? Will you be found anxiously awaiting, I should say, not anxiously in anxiety, but will you be found with an eager anticipation of that day? I eagerly anticipate, not from anything I've done, but by the grace of God and the Spirit within me, I wish he would come back today, church. I wish he would come back today. You say, even more so than seeing your first grandbaby? Even more so than seeing my first grandbaby. I wish he'd come back today. But there used to be a time I wished he wouldn't. You say, why did there used to be a time you wished you wasn't? Because there were some things I wanted to live for for myself and see for myself that really didn't have a whole lot to do with advancing his kingdom, and I was a little selfish. The only thing that holds me here, the only thing that I would say, even when Scripture says we're to say, come, Lord Jesus, the only thing, the reason I would say, not yet, Lord. (laughs) Why not? Because there's some people over in West Africa there's some people in India. There's some people in the shadows of our steeples. And they're going to get an invite today, Lord. Don't come back just yet. Could you at least wait till after Easter? Could you at least wait till another opportunity is given for these people? That's the only thing. That's the only thing that should want us to, to want Jesus to delay is coming. But I'll be honest, by our action in response to the burden of that, <laughs> that's not really our reason, is it? First and foremost, it should be. So God forgive me and forgive all of us. And that 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 applies to. Now the fourth truth here we'll see real quick and lastly is that is is that Peter stayed close beside him, yet he still denied him. He stayed close beside him, but yet he still denied him. Now look at verse 69 through 75 as I wrap this part up right here. And our band comes and moves in place. It says now this, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But notice he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, sure was, this man right here. And again, a second time he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Now notice he's building. His, 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 his flesh is building up in him. His pride is building up in him. His frustration is building up in him. Verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent even betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, look at this, immediately the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He stayed close beside him, yet he still denied him. We see from the beginning of this trial, even back in verse 58, it said that Peter stayed close, but not too close. Not too close. Now, we see it happen in the verses just as Jesus predicted. But you know, I'm so grateful this wasn't the final story for the life of Peter. It wasn't the end story. Where's your story at right now? Where's your story as a follower of Christ? Where's your story right now? Are you a follower of Christ? Wanting to be there for Him, but staying at a distance? Are you uh, non-believer in Christ. See, this wasn't the end of Peter's story, but there's another story of one of the disciples, Judas. And Judas, we saw the end of his, or, or, or we saw the getting close to the end of his story last week when he betrayed Jesus and the money that was part of the motivation because of his greediness. Once he realized what he had done, he couldn't deal with himself and the money meant nothing. In fact, the money wasn't even all spent. The money was found there after he took his own life. That's the end of his story. Judas is in hell. But did you know you don't have to betray Jesus to end up in hell like Judas did? You don't have to kiss him on a cheek. But you will stand before him. And if you reject him as Lord and Savior, you're just as guilty as Judas, who betrayed him in the garden. That's, that's just truth. But for Peter, thank God, it would be part of his testimony after, this is the key, after he encountered a risen Lord. So here's my questions as you bow your head and you close your eyes in this time of response. Has the resurrected Savior really changed your life? is the resurrected King resurrecting you I love that song by elevation worship in your name I come alive from the ashes of defeat the resurrected King is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory the resurrected King is resurrecting me you know unfortunately it appears that many professing believers are like Peter was before the crucifixion they want to be close to Jesus but not too close many buckle under the pressure of being associated with Christ many refuse to live like Jesus for the fear of pressure or of being associated with Christ many refuse to live like Jesus for fear of someone ridiculing them not accepting them or persecuting them what about you? what about you? where do you stand? where do I stand? Where do you stand? With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor, I'm willing to stand before those that I know, those that I go to church with to prove I'm not ashamed, to associate with Christ and share how he's changed my life. How many by show of hands would say, Pastor, I'm willing, I'm willing. Thank you, thank you. Just keep them up. I'm willing to stand before those I worship with and share unashamedly how Christ has changed my life. Amen. All right, I'm going to call you up one by one. Christy, come on up. James, Bill, Amy, Mike, come on up to the stage. Now, you know I'm just kidding and nobody's moving, but I did see some movement towards this stage. I also know there was some fear that came into some people when your name got called. I know there were some that went into a defensive mode and said, I can't believe he just put somebody on the spot like that. I can't believe he would do that to me. Well, I wasn't. But the Spirit laid this on my heart to put it like this to know It's more than just a hand raise. Had one of the biggest blessings in here a couple of weeks ago in our midweek services. Some of our faithful saints stood up unashamedly among those they worship with and told their before, how, and after how God changed their life. And I pray that's the boldness you would have. It's what we should have. Now, how many here would say, Pastor, I have a harder time standing for Christ outside the four walls than I do within? Could you just be honest on that? I do. Anybody else? I do. I have a harder time on the outside the four walls than I do on the inside the four walls. And so we need prayer for boldness. We need the the prayer. we We need the word that God gave to Joshua and Caleb. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. And that's the prayer that I'm going to pray and ask you to pray. See, if we have truly been justified, then we have been identified with Jesus, and there should be no shame in our identifying with Him. That's what I love about baptism. Baptism is not your salvation. It's telling everybody you've been changed and you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and He's your Lord and Savior. It's a sign of identification. Maybe you need to follow through with that sign. Maybe before that sign, you need to identify by confessing your sins and asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. And then for all of us here, I want to remind you of His words in Luke 9, 26, where Jesus says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed. He uses the same terminology, Son of Man. God in the flesh. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So I don't know about you, but I know there's room for improvement in my life to be more bold. I don't need salvation because I got it and and, and he got me, he got me. When he got me, he got me. He, He saved me. But I do know there needs to be a prayer for boldness. But if you're here today and you'd say, I just got to identify with him, Pastor. I've never totally turned my life over to him. Just real simple. It's not real hard. The hard part's been done by him on the cross. It's not your knowledge that you got to obtain before you can be a recipient of God's grace. It's just your willingness to let go of your own self and your own pride. That's the hardest part for man and to trust God and to put to rest the lies where the devil says, well, they don't know what you've done. They don't know who you really are. They don't know how bad you've sinned. Those are all lies straight out of hell from Satan because God is gracious and powerful enough and he can take those who murdered his own people like Paul, Saul, change his name to Paul, He can change you, friend, no matter what you've done in the past. If you'll just call upon him. So right there where you're at, just call upon him. Say, Dear God in heaven, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm a sinner, I'm wretched, and there's nothing good in me, spiritually speaking. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and save me, change me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Here's what else I'd like to do. All over the room, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And those of you that raised your hand earlier, Pastor, I need that prayer of boldness outside the four walls to unashamedly speak about how Jesus has changed my life. Unashamedly talk to people and invite them to be a part of what he ordained secondly, and that's his church, the living organism to change the world I want to pray for you and I'll be praying for myself as well and then Rich will lead us in a time of response the altar will be open I'll be down here however you need to do with the spirit we'll be here afterwards too so there's never a time that we close that we close the doors if the spirit is speaking to you that's what we're here for what your elders are here for Father we love you God there's no love greater than your love thank you for those who God may have said yes to you for the first time in their life God, and it'll be the only time that they need to say yes to you if they meant it for your salvation, God. But, Lord, they will need to say yes to you every day by crucifying their flesh, God, every day, denying their self and following, Lord, daily you, Father, as they surrender, God, uh, their life and work out their salvation with fear and trembling, God, not work for it, but work it out, Father, with fruit because they have you, the root, Lord Jesus. So thank you. We praise you for that, God. For the believers that raised their hand, including myself, God, would you give us the boldness, God, that you gave Joshua and Caleb, God, when they went in, God, toward the promised land, Father. Would you remove every bit of fear, Father God, Lord, and dismay, Father, as as only you can do, God. Lord, would you move our hearts, God. Would you go ahead and prepare the hearts of those, God, who we're going to extend an invitation to today, God, just to come for Easter. Would your presence fill this place as never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. band's going to lead us. If you need to come pray, pray for somebody. Sing, worship, you do as the Spirit leads you.